Okay, so today, this is kind of a team talk thing. So I just wanted to introduce who the, the folks are at the panel, some of whom you've already heard for, of course, our senior pastor, Brady Boyd. Um, yeah, and, and I, I think all of you know this, but it's worth saying, um, Pastor Brady came here in 2007 to a church that was really in a difficult spot, to put it mildly. And he really was the Lord's... Um, vessel, the Lord's chosen one for us, because what he, what he brought to our team was not only so much health, but wisdom and growth, and to see what our church has, um, how we've been able to flourish over the last eight years under his leadership, I think is a testimony to his leadership, to his vision, to his courage, to his humility, so we're all very, very grateful for him. Uh, this is John Egan over here, worship pastor at New Life Church, you've heard from John and Brady yesterday. Uh, John and I have been friends for uh, 18 years. We went to college together. We were in a little band called the Desperation Band years ago. I stepped out of the band, and they really took off. So uh, this is um, Daniel Grothy. It is true. It's funny, but it's true. This is Daniel Grothy over here. Um, we've also known Daniel for a long time, some 15 years or so. He's been at the church maybe 12 years or something like that, 10, 11, 12 years. Uh, Pastor Daniel, now pastors He doesn't are... remember a time when I wasn't That's here right. is what I, he's saying. Yeah. Life before Daniel does not come to mind, Yeah, as Brueggemann said. Um, Daniel leads our Friday night congregation. So, you, you know, one of the things at New Life that we're trying to follow the Lord, pay attention to the spirit like Pastor Brady talked about today... Uh, is in having multiple congregations. And so um, we have a New Life Friday night that Pastor Daniel serves as the pastor of. The, they, the people that come on Friday nights look to Daniel as their pastor. He teaches um, a sermon that is in sync, in line with what happens here on Sunday mornings at the North Campus, the main campus. And then I, um, I've been on staff here for about 15 years, and I pastor our New Life downtown congregation. So um, that's who we are on the stage. And what we're talking about today is this question right here on the slide, um, is the question, what are Sundays for? Now, we've, we've addressed in different ways at the conference so far, what is the church for? And we've talked about the church being a city on a hill, a church reaching into um, the injustices in our city and the pain of our city. We've talked about the church being a light in terms of evangelism and witness in every person. But... For the next 45 minutes to an hour, what we really want to zero in on is the actual services. So when I say Sundays, I don't just mean, you know, Sundays. I mean Friday nights. I mean anytime we have a corporate gathering as the people of God, what are those services for? So just to kind of set up our conversation, here's, here's a little um, visual um, on how we could answer that. So one of the ways to answer the question, whoops, of what Sundays are for is with the word mission. To say, well, I, I know what Sundays are for. They're all about reaching the lost. And Brady alluded to this when he said, we think evangelism is inviting people to church. Because church is all about winning the lost. So Sundays are all about mission. Now, that, that's not wrong. That's one answer. Another answer would be formation. To say, okay, no, 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 no. We come to church brother, to be discipled. We come to church to become like Jesus. We want to learn. We want to grow. I need to go deep. The other answer, and I don't know why I just used that voice, the other answer, <laughs> the other answer is expression, is to say, you know why we come, is to express the gifts of the Spirit, sure, but also to express my own heart to God in worship. If we were to put it kind of in a limited way, we'd say we come so that we can have an experience. 
so that we can have an experience. And so I, I want to be able to have an experience and express myself, express my heart. It's almost kind of individualistic. And John, you're going to have to help me with this metaphor because um, you're a graphic designer guy as well in your spare time or sometimes. <laughs> what happens to an image? What do you call it when you, ha you take the dimensions of an image and you stretch one aspect of it over another? It's called kerneling. Ooh, I would yeah. never guess that. Kerneling. That's what the answer is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm looking at you like, say something yeah. else, say John. Something else, yeah. Yeah. So, so if you stretch one dimension, all of a sudden it distorts the image. It does indeed. It compromises the integrity. Now I know where you were going. I'm slow. Um, it does compromise the integrity of the image because there's only so much information for the image. And a lot of immature graphic designers try to, oh, just make it bigger, so they make it bigger. The problem is that spreads out the pixels, which compromises the integrity of the image, which compromises its effectiveness. Which is a beautiful illustration of what happens, I think, to the church. Again, back to this slide. If you look at these three dimensions of expression, mission, and formation, we are, as the church together are the image of Christ in the world, right? We image God into our communities, into our city. We reflect into the world what God is like. And I think what we'd like to suggest this morning is that when you take one of these elements over and against another and overemphasize it, you might distort that image. You might distort what it means. And so to kind of get the conversation flowing from our panel here, I want to put down on all, all three of these words, what happens when you only do mission? So, Brady, I was thinking about you. You know, what, what's it like to try to get a house clean every day because someone might be trying to buy it? Yeah, right now my wife and I are selling our house to move in closer to town. Um, and it is, it's problematic. I mean, we have two cats, a dog, two teenagers, and two adults. You know, and uh, so we have these showings every two or three days. And so we get this, you know, one-hour notice from a realtor. Hey, we have potential buyers coming to your house. It needs to be in perfect order. Well, you know, I, my wife is a great housekeeper. I know she's watching online, and I don't want to be in trouble when I get home. She's amazing, <laughs> awesome. Did I tell you how awesome she was? Yeah, yeah. All right, but yeah, do you know? But you know, when there's a house, you ever go visit someone's house where they don't have children? You know, you know what I'm saying? Everything's in. That's amazing how clean that looks. <laughs> but when you have kids, it's kind of lived in. Even when you're a, a, a you know a neat freak, it looks lived in. And I've, I actually feel more comfortable in those spots. But when you go over to someone's house where they have, the, you know, they, the real china on the table, oh, yeah. stuff they can break. You remember that when your kids were little? You didn't put that stuff out. They vacuumed perfect rows. Yeah, like they vacuumed right. themselves out of the room. Yeah, right. Where you, and you find yourself walking down the line there. You don't Scary. want to mess up the rhythm. Right. And do you think that happens? So if we put the slide back up, Kevin, sorry, you're bouncing back and forth between video and the slide, I know. Sundays can become a showroom floor when mission is overemphasized, when Sunday services or the services are all about only mission or exclusively mission, imagine what that might do to a staff that feels like they got to keep the house clean or on show every, every week. Or having guests over for every meal. Mm -hmm. And think about it, if, you're, if you had guests over, guest, people that not, not guests that you live next door to that you knew well, I'm talking about first time guests at your house for every single meal at your house how dysfunctional your family would become over time because your kids never learned how to have, uh, you know, conversations or even have it messy or drop stuff and break it without feeling really guilty. That's what a lot of churches have become where, uh, and listen, you just heard me talk about the lost, okay? So I'm not, I'm not contradicting myself here. 
I care deeply about the lost. I also pastor a church. Uh, so I've had pastors tell me we win the lost at any cost. It is, uh, Sunday is only about the lost. And I feel terrible for the people who are already born again, though, because they're getting nothing. They're yep. getting told, you show up with your, your stuff together, yep. and you, sit up, you get the house clean. And, and so it becomes this dysfunctional family. It never becomes a true family environment yep. because the only people we care about are the guests, and the family gets ignored along the way. Can you imagine what your kids would look like yep. if every meal for 18 years at your house was worth strangers and guests at your table? First time strangers and guests. When they're 18 years old, they don't, they don't have no idea how to have family right. conversations or family dynamics. Well, the congregation is no longer sons and daughters. They're the sales team, yeah. you know? Right. Yeah. Wow. There's, there's a great comedian who uh, I won't... He's a great comedian who has a bit about when people, in, you know, 20 years ago used to not come to the door, how exciting that was, you know, when the doorbell would ring, and how now when someone comes to the door, the doorbell rings, everyone hides. Um, it's like, who's that? Who's that? And back then it was huge. But back in, in our, you know, 20 years ago generation, every, uh, mom would come home with this uh, Entenmann's pie, a cake, and blah, blah, blah. And then, oh, the kids would get excited. And she'd be like, don't touch that. That's for company. That's for, that's for guests. Now, you guys eat the stale muffins over there. You, this is for company. But or that towel in the bathroom that you can never use. Or the yeah. soap in the sink uh, that you can never right. use. Yeah. It never got used. I mean, we never had that many guests, so yeah. we just had this soap that took on lint and dust over the years. <laughs> that always felt, I always wanted to sneak around and use that. Yeah. But I knew I'm, I, you can't use it and not yeah. know it, right? But this is what's wearing out. I know it's what's wearing out, out a lot of uh, worship leaders and musicians is that they, their value, they've been told your value is perfection. Your value is don't mess up. And, uh, but it's talking out of two sides of your mouth. Hey, we're family. We're creating a family environment. Don't screw up. You just screwed up. You just did that again. I can't believe you just did that. Hey, it's cool. We're family. You know, it's all chill. We really receive each other as we are. I can't believe you just wore that thing again. You were, you know. And so that wasn't a passive aggressive. Um, like, Where's that coming from, John? No, yeah, no. Sure <laughs> yeah, that was that. That A lot of pain there, John. Yeah. A lot of pain. But I think it goes back, it goes back to... Uh, what I was saying yesterday, that you end up then um, kind of with uh, building a culture where you have at least worship leaders and musicians just trying to be perfect. And that's when they're developing their talent more than developing their heart. Yeah. And so let's move on. So that's, that could be some of the things that happen when you, o when you only emphasize mission or you emphasize mission at the expense of the other two. And okay. I guess we could contrarily talk about, and we, not to derail this, but what happens when you ignore mission? Well, yeah, and that, that's what these next I mean, ones are. We're, we're talking about overemphasizing, yeah. but we're also probably about half of the churches in America are not even thinking about that's the right. lost. They're not even thinking about unchurched people. So we're not at all saying, we're, we think everything we do around here, we're thinking about the unchurched. It's just not the only thing we're thinking about. Do you, you, yeah. you understand that? We were not, so to say to ignore it, is right. that's, that's to your own peril. If you ignore the fact that there are seekers and lost people coming into your campus, that is to your own peril. And it's not the kingdom of heaven. It's not the kingdom of God. Right. But to overemphasize it is what we're also talking about today. That's so we're looking at both. So just know this as we go through each of this, there's, there's both sides of the spectrum on this. Yeah. Overemphasizing one of these things too much or completely ignoring one of these things too, okay? So that's what we're trying to hope that's clear to all of you today. So think with me, guys, about what happens when you only emphasize or overemphasize formation, which is kind of what you're saying, Brady. There, sometimes you'll, you'll hear a church environment say, oh, we're not even thinking about the lost. We just want to disciple people. And they're doing what you said, the beautiful picture, throwing out the, the, you know, the life... Um, 
what do you call it? Lifesaver. Yeah. But throwing it over their heads, you know. Or just turning their back on them altogether and taking, talking to people on the ship deck, you know, that uh, we're, you know, you're hearing all these screams of people drowning, but you're more concerned about the ship being uh, run well. Yeah. And uh, this is, that's to your own peril. To overemphasize formation, you, you end up, you don't build disciples, quite honestly. If you're not winning the loss, you're not building disciples, yeah. uh, because that's yeah. what Jesus said to do. Yeah. Go, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and So he's talking about baptism and going after people. But when you overemphasize formation and teaching, how many pastors in this room, and raise your hand because it's good because it'll bring healing to your soul, have had someone tell you, I'm not being fed, I need to go somewhere where there's deeper teaching? Listen, someone told Jack Hayford that, who is smarter than all of us in the room. Hey, I remember him telling me that. I said, Brady, listen, uh, you're going to get this. People are going to want deeper teaching. I said, have you ever had that pastor? He goes, almost every Sunday. I went, they tell you that? He's written 700 songs. I mean, he's written million, like a million books or something. And <laughs> Estimate. So the point is, there are going to be people who are so hungry for, you know, the exegetical phenomenon of every passage of Scripture so when you overemphasize it, you actually are not building disciples, you're building students. That's right. You've turned, you've turned the, the congregation into a classroom. Mm -hmm. you know. Daniel, you want to jump in on any of that? Uh, if we're going to extend the metaphor, it's like the people, it's like being around the kids who've never been around adults. You know, it's, these are the people who only have family dinners. <laughs> and they've never had anyone in their home. And then when they're out with people, they're uncomfortable and they're difficult to be around. And good. so. Good. That's good. Yeah. Or the homeschool families whose their kids have careful, never been now, around careful, other kids. Careful, careful, careful. I, I, I was in that house one time not long ago where the kids had never been around other kids. It's like they had only been around adults. They didn't know how to play with my kids. They were like, thought my kids were freakish. Like, they want to do what? Go run and frolic? What? <laughs> That's not an adult thing to do. I'm eight years old. I'm past that. It's, it's uh, not here's, normal. Here's it's not natural. Here's the disclaimer. We homeschool. We have wonderful kids who know how to play with other kids. <laughs> I, am, I, was, I am a homeschooler, but I'm just not homeschooled. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. <laughs> well, I had a thought. Um, sometimes, you know, when we're, I bring it back to doing albums or um, producing music. Sometimes musicians want to just impress other musicians. So a, a lot of their motivation is to create uh, something beautiful that only other musicians would be impressed with. Yeah. And you end up really alienating yeah. the purpose yeah. of your music. And I think similar here, if we're just about formation, I mean, I think of, I have friends who are just trying to pay the bills. You know, I have friends who come to church that are just, they're, yeah, I know there's a deep, deep well yeah. of academia and all this stuff when it comes to faith. But if I'm completely honest, I just have no bandwidth for that. What I need is just a takeaway. Yeah. <laughs> I need to walk out these doors going, okay, yeah. I could apply this this week. Um, and, but if they walk in going, this is a classroom that I'm kind of getting invited to, it's like, oh, this is over my head, and maybe, maybe they lose me. Or well, and even from a worship leader standpoint, though, John, don't you have to gauge how, quote, unquote, deep into worship you can go? Yeah, completely. There's, it's amazing how worship leaders assume so much, and they stop teaching you know, a worship leader goes, I'm going to do 10 minutes of silence back here. This is going to be epic. This is going to be amazing. The Holy Spirit's going to have his way. You know, and then I've, I think what I picture is the Holy Spirit and all the people just staring at you going, what are you doing? Uh, can you at least, can you help me, Holy Spirit? Can you help? What, what do you want me to here? do here? You know, can I come in here? You know, worship leaders get lost, right? It's like they're, they're experiencing something up there. I'm not invited, though. That's right. That's you know? right. 
So now yeah. I'm voyeuristically looking in on their something. You know? and if the Holy Spirit doesn't get past the first two rows, it was probably not the Holy Spirit at work at all. And yeah. a lot of times, uh, this is and this is a good, and John asked for this kind of input from me, so I'm not, a lot of times on Sunday, I'll walk in and hang out in the back. A lot of people may wonder why I'm doing that. Why am I sitting in the back back there? Because I'm trying to, I'm, a, I'm the pastor of the congregation, That's not right. the pastor of the first two That's rows. Right. Yeah. And yeah. most of the people sitting around me on the first two rows are staff. So we're obviously engaged with the worship. And if we're not engaged, by the way, it's really bad. But most of the time, we're very engaged. But what we're not concerned about oftentimes is how, what about have we drawn the back of the net in? Have we, have we, have we made it clear to people what's expected of them? Have we taught them? And uh, even when I'm preaching and teaching a lot of times, uh, if, all we are, if the only people we're listening to for the amens are the people in the front row, uh, it's oftentimes misleading on how effective the, the message yeah. is. Oftentimes, I'm looking on the back row. Do I have anybody leaning in with me on the back row? You know, not because it's hard of hearing, but because they're leaning in on the message. So I actually preach from the back to the front uh, when I'm preaching. And because that's usually where people who arrive late, they are guests. They don't feel like coming in and singing on the front row. So you, if you'll preach to the back of the room, to the front of the room, you'll get everyone. If you preach to the front of the room, to the back room, you'll probably end up about the third row of effectiveness. But I start from the back and work my way forward as, as, as a matter of just methodology. And can we throw it? Back to you, Glenn, who you are a student at the moment. You are naturally bent toward being a teacher. Well, what is that? How does that affect you as a pastor? It, it is a tension. And I, someone said to me last year, this was an older guy in ministry. He's actually a, a bishop here in town. And he said, as a preacher, you always want to do your homework, but you never want to preach your homework. Yeah. And, and there has to be willingness to leave stuff on the table yeah. that you're not putting on the plate. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like... Every good chef, they're like, man, I could add so much more. But if you go to, like, a, a really fine dining restaurant, the portions are small. Portions are small, but they're really well done, and it's usually not over the top. In fact, typically the restaurants that I usually go to, it's, like, big portions and just lots of sauce, you know, yeah. just cover up everything. I don't know if it's any good, but it's, yeah. like, you know. But if when you have a good, a good meal, it's usually not massive portions, but it's just perfectly flavored, and it's focused. It knows how to draw out the flavors. I'm trying to get better at that. I think teachers have to do it. Worship leaders got to do it. Well, they, they, this is a great illustration because about, I would say, a third of the, of the pastors here are probably bent toward teaching. And so knowing if you're, where do you lead from? This is Glenn and I, like five years ago, Glenn and I had this conversation, and Glenn is brilliant, and he would never say that about himself. We all know this. We love Glenn's teaching ability. He's getting his doctorate at Durham University right now in the U.K., and we're so thrilled about that. And Glenn adds tremendous depth and weight everything we do here scholar in scholarly work uh in everything so we just love glenn that but we when i talked to glenn when he first started preaching weekly uh five years ago i said i, I remember the lunch i went to glenn i said glenn uh every pastor and preacher has to know where they lead from uh do you lead from your heart or do you lead from your head yeah. and so a lot of us in this room uh for me i'm a storyteller I'm a, I lead from my heart and hope that my head somehow gets connected along the way, right? I mean, I, I, I'm not an, I read a lot, but I'm not an academic. I, I'm not going to ever be accused of being a, a seminary professor. But I'm a storyteller and I'm a pastor, so I know I lead from my heart. Well, what leaves room there is I know I have to read intensely. I make sure that what I, my heart is telling me is true by what I've read and studied. Now, the opposite is true for people who lead from their head, though. You know what you know. You are convinced of it. But knowing that you've got to lead with some emotion and some feeling and some stories. Now, Glenn's brilliant in all those ways, but five years ago, he was learning this, that 
Glenwood knew that he knew for a fact that what he was about to tell people was true. He could prove it. It was awesome. And he had five reasons why it was true. And he was amazing. And, it, and especially in a classroom setting, we all sat and went, wow, that was awesome. But when he started leading a congregation, I said, Glenn, the, the big challenge for people that are as smart as you are is learning that your heart has to get really involved with that because people want to know that you love them, that you care about them. And it's never been a, I'm just using that as an example, but Glenn does this brilliant. He's got a huge congregation downtown because he does this well. But I'm saying that a lot of you are academics. Some of you are, you read for fun. I watch SportsCenter for fun. And while you're, watch, while you're reading that book, trying to go to bed, I got Conan on. I'm watching <laughs> Seinfeld. I'm watching SportsCenter. So I have to learn... I have to read for discipline. Or Mountain Man. Or Mountain Man. <laughs> Come on. Y'all Tom's, Tom. Tom's cabin. I love how you reference Tom as if we all know who Tom is. You don't know I don't, who Tom is from Mountain Man. I mean, he looks you know just Tom. like Eugene Peterson. There was a wolf attack, Daniel. He reminds me of Eugene Peterson on the show. If you no, seen to it. prove your point, Brady, I, recently I went back and looked at some of my sermon notes from yes. five years ago and six yes. years ago, which is a great exercise, right. by the way. Yep. And I thought, what was I doing? Why was I, I was trying to cram like four weeks worth into one talk. This is dumb. And you realize you've got to be okay with leaving something on the, on the table, you know. Yeah. A quick story, John, when I, when I was leading our college, leading worship for our college ministry, with the band, you know, we would do these sort of prophetic musical interludes, you know, we thought it was amazing. And uh, I realized we had a lot of unchurched people in our college ministry because someone came up to me one day and they're like, dude. When you guys jam, that is so cool. Like, love the jam sessions. I'm like, yeah, that's not the... Not the the Allman Brothers or the Grateful Dead, you know? It's like... Dave Matthews Band. Yeah, no. Okay, should we move on? Speaking of jamming... (laughs) Speaking of jamming. um, What happens when you emphasize expression nearly exclusively? How many pastors in a room have ever said... I want to go to a place where the spirit is allowed to move, and you, you're just not allowing the spirit to move the way I want it to move. What they're saying is there's a particular gift that I want to see expressed every Sunday that's not being expressed, and I need this particular spiritual gift of all the ones listed in the Bible. I need this one to be expressed a lot <laughs> in order for there to be expression in the spirit to move, because the spirit hasn't moved until this thing happens. That's what they're saying. They're saying I need more expression. I want that to be overemphasized expression, in my opinion. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah. That's great. You guys jumped in. Yeah, the people who leave because they, they haven't heard a tongue and an interpretation of tongue in two years, you know, publicly. And that's, that's it's your agenda. It's your, it's your kind of side project being elevated to the project of the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That's, that's when expression uh, takes front and center. You want to hear a funny pastoral story? This is a true story, okay? And we believe in all of the spiritual gifts, all of them. We are unashamedly in love with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, the expression of the Holy Spirit. But we have a big room, right? Let me tell you a funny, true pastoral story. On the same Sunday, someone complained to me, you don't let the Spirit move. We don't, we've never heard a tongue, an interpretation of tongue. Same Sunday, another person over here goes, uh, Pastor Brady, I don't know what happened, but somebody burst out in a tongue and nobody interpreted it. Well, the problem is, it's such a big room, nobody heard them. They were way over there. This person is upset that we don't let the spirit move. This person over here heard a tongue and they never heard that. They didn't know what that was. They were trying to, what was that? Nobody interpreted it. So in, in a room this big, I walk home and I said, I, I said, it's a no-win situation. I went home to tell Pam, I said, 
If I encourage it, it may happen and nobody hear it. Or if I discourage it, I would never do that. You know, but the, the dynamic of the room even can cause problems. But anyway, such is the life of a pastor. <laughs> I think um, the prophetic can often be spontaneous, but spontaneous, not always prophetic. Doing something off the cuff is not always what the Spirit is doing. So we need to kind of come to grips with our, okay, it's okay to have some. Do you mean the Spirit doesn't know on Tuesday what he wants to do on Sunday? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> and uh, I think it, uh, it is a temptation, isn't it, uh, to produce uh, an experience. And, and we've become quite good at, at it, haven't we? We, we could uh, soar at the end. We could really bring this thing up at the end. And uh, I really think that, you know, no one really wants to change the world. They just want credit for changing the world. I, I feel like it's, uh, it's similar. It's like we don't really want the spirit. We just want it to look like we've got the spirit. And we've could, we could really, because I think if we really wanted the spirit, it would bring a lot of, there's repentance involved in that. There's a lot of things that involve with so the spirit. So and, um, but I think for it to look like it was, quote, unquote, anointed or, is what we could start to produce. But, man, that, that, that is a slippery, slippery slope. Well, if it doesn't, what's, what happens on Sunday, if it doesn't spill over into the week, then it's not authentic anyway. And I just, a beautiful couple, they're a sweet couple, they were just really upset, and they met with me recently and said, we'd want more prophecy, wish there was more prophecy in the church. And I, I'm very prophetic. It's one of the, my stronger gifts. I, I enjoy it. I love it. I teach on it. I've written a little book on it. But I said to them, I said, when was the last time you gave a prophetic word outside the church? Couldn't, they couldn't give me an answer. They, I said, when was the last time that maybe uh, even at home, one of your kids woke up and you walked over and said, hey, in the middle of the night, the Lord spoke, or I was praying for you this morning, the Lord gave me a clear word for you. They could, they, it hasn't happened. I said, what you're wanting is a Sunday morning experience that takes up space that should be used on Monday through Saturday. Sunday should be kind of uh, the teaching moment, the uh, inspiring moment, but uh, if it doesn't spill over into Monday through Saturday into your personal lives, then Sundays have been kind of disingenuous. It hasn't been instructed. So I was encouraging them, look, if you want more prophecy to happen on Sunday, prophesy more Monday through Saturday and let it spill over into Sunday. Let it be a natural outflow of your expression rather than waiting for me to do it for you or create some perfect environment for you to experiment on Sunday. Um, so that, that was a good, it was helpful conversation for them because they didn't even realize that they were not even exercising their own gifts through the week. So, Glenn, when do we see it? Let's, let's talk about when we see it working, the blend, the combination, yeah. all three together. If we know what it shouldn't look like, right. what should it look like? It's a great question. And I, I think what we, want, what we want you to hear from us today is that it can actually really look a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. That there isn't a formula or a template, but I think there are some, some signs. You know? And one of the signs is that the service is Christ-centered. You know, and one of the things we say around here is the surest sign that the Spirit is at work is that Jesus has been revealed and Jesus has been worshipped and Jesus has been glorified and, and, and become the center. And so, uh, John, I don't, maybe you want to jump in on this second bullet in the sense of like, or, well, all of it. I mean, even things around the room, you know, um, letting, letting everything that is said and sung and seen and done, like trying to make all of it point to Christ. Well, Glenn, Glenn was part of Glenn's journey in what? what he's been um, just becoming ordained as a priest. And, and it's just been an amazing spiritual awakening for all of us because we get to have a parallel journey with him. And one of the discoveries that he was making was in, in our singing. Um, and 
we were looking at set lists. We were actually looking at set lists. This is a great practice. And, and going down the list, and wow, did we just do an entire set list and never mention the name Jesus? Uh, I think that happened. Um, well, there's an, well, everybody knows. Everybody knows what we're doing here. So it's, and then you start the whole process. But we just started challenging each other. Let's really sing with some clarity. C.S. Lewis says, says it. We have to constantly be reminded of what we believe. And not just assume that we believe something and we'll sing around it. And I, I love that about worship. Let's come in and remind ourselves what we believe and what is at the center of that. It's Jesus. So I hope that we're singing Jesus. I hope that we're saying Jesus. This is why we've come to the table at the end of our services over the last many years. Because, you know, I've been in different settings and maybe you've seen there's lots of different ways to experience to receive communion. Uh, one of the ways that I've seen is, you know, during worship people come down and take communion and go back before anything's been said. It's kind of like, get, you know, it fe almost feels like a check the box. Uh, but we come to the table at the end of the service. Why? Because what we're saying to people, what we're wanting to communicate is you cannot do any of this. You cannot become the person that Jesus has called you to be unless Jesus by his spirit does this for you. Yeah. So you're not left yeah. with Brady Boyd or Daniel Grothy or whoever, whoever's, yeah. you're not left with my wise and persuasive words. You're left to face Jesus who is the yes. one who said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And take this because you're going to need it. This is my blood. And, and so we, we've built our service to come down to the table. Also Christ-centered, we, we uh, have people walk through. We have a table in the front and a table in the back. And this is a big room. And so if you're sitting in the middle, kind of, you have to walk a long way to receive communion. Sometimes we've had people say, why couldn't you just buy some trays and just send it on down the line to us? And we're actually doing it on purpose, making people make the move because it's almost a Luke 15 prodigal coming home moment. You've just heard the call of the Spirit. You've heard the word. And now this is your chance to respond. It's an altar call. You're yeah. saying, yes, I need Jesus, and I need the Spirit of God to fill me up, and I'm making a move to come home to God. And so it's Christ-centered. It's not personality-centered. Which is a the tension between being seeker-focused and being believer-focused, too. It creates mm -hmm. a tension because mm -hmm. I've had people tell me, hey, this is not very seeker-sensitive to make them get up out of their comfortable seat, walk down, and be inconvenienced. And I said, and that's the point, that following Jesus is not a convenience you know, following Jesus is being very inconvenienced at times. And it's a reminder to us in a very subtle way that to follow Jesus means we're going to be uncomfortable and inconvenienced, which means you're going to have to get up out of your seat, walk down here to a stranger, to someone you don't know, and to take a bread, take a cup from someone that you don't know, and then walk back and hope your purse hasn't been stolen. That's what we said. I mean, it's just a, <laughs> hey, that's a joke. We, no, but nobody's purses are being stolen. But I have had that. As a concern. People walking with their purses. I, I've <laughs> seen that. I've seen that. So which both of you, that dovetails perfectly into maybe the second mark of a service for us anyways, to say it this way, to say, is there the shape of the gospel in the service? So one, one of the things we're, we're, we're attentive to when we think about Sundays is not, is to try to think like a storyteller more than um, a segment producer, okay? So if we can work in reverse order, look at that last bullet point, the variety show versus the story. Um, a lot of our late night TV shows, it's kind of segments, right? Just chopped up, variety show, magazine format, right? They used to call it. But I, I think um, there's a reason we love movies. There's a reason we love like these epic docudramas or whatever. And, and there's you know, even controversies about documentaries that insert a narrative that isn't really there. Why? Because they know we love story. So 
why shouldn't our Sunday service be formed with a story sensibility more than an entertainment sensibility? Does that make, make sense? So we're, we're trying to say how do all of these pieces not just in, work as individual segments, but do they stitch together in the shape of the gospel? A real subtle piece of language we don't, I don't say, I don't say, John, hey, thank you for that worship. Uh, no, it's all worship to us. And every song, every, everyone in the room that leads songs should have said amen to that because all of it's worship to us. So I say, hey, he is the worship leader. So now that worship is over, we can get to the scriptures. Think about that, what I just said. Now that worship is over, that we've quit adoring, now that adoring God is complete, we can now look at his scriptures that he wrote and not adore them and not worship them and not listen to them. And so it's all worship. It's all the one continual story from beginning to end that ends at the table. It ends at the resurrection, ascension, that's the kingdom that will now come that, that has no end. So we, and then we proclaim that over our people, and we always leave them with a benediction. I know some of the longtime New Lifers may know, why am I doing that? Why am I posting a scripture on the screen at the end of the sermon? It almost feels like, a, hey, don't, don't, don't leave, don't leave. We had to really coach people. Even the benediction is say, hey, by the way, everything you heard now, the story you just heard, the thing you just heard, the worship we just experienced together, now let's pray together as we go out as ambassadors and witnesses into this world that we're about to go into. Let us go now as a prayer. Let's pray over one another and encourage one another as saints to go out into the world as a benediction, a prayer over one another. All of that is very intentional to create a sense that, that one thing's not more important to the other, that it's building upon one another. Yes. So one of the things that's interesting, and we've talked about this as a team, is the order of service, okay? So when you see up there fourfold ordo, or ordo is just a Latin word for order or order of worship, so it's just order. The three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, if, you, if, if we're listening, we, we would see that actually they all tell the story of Jesus with this particular order. They start with his baptism, then they go roughly to his teachings, and then they go to a, pr- a prayer, um, and then you go to the Passover and his suffering and death and resurrection. That's roughly how they're structured. And so one of the theories about the Gospels, it, why they were compiled that way, is that they emerged from early Christian communities, churches, and the churches structured their very order of worship around the life of Christ and, or around the story of Christ. Or you might say it the other way. They told the story of Christ along the way of their structure of worship, back and forth. Right? So there's some sort of inner logic that every time they gathered together to worship as Christians, they would rehearse the story of Christ. So if you're going to do baby dedication or baptisms, you'd begin with that, then you'd do the teaching, and then you'd come, there would be some prayer, and then there would be the table. And everyone knew we're reenacting the gospel story. You know? Now, something happened in the 1800s when we had revivals. And that's something wonderful happened with that. But also we began to see people like Whitfield and Finney and some others who began to say, you know what, the church thing isn't working. There are people who say they're Christians but actually don't come to church. So you had a a large American population in the early colonies that were Christian by name but didn't believe. And so they said, we've got to do something outside the church. And they began to create the frontier revivals, which was then the threefold shape. Songs, you said yesterday, worship leaders have become the karaoke, play the hits, warm-up act. That's where that came from. The, the music team was just there to sort of get people in the right emotional state. Then the preacher was there to get them to the right emotional state for a decision. And that became the order of service. So it, initially it was like, well, that's fine because it's a tent meeting until the tent meeting became church. And we've not varied too much away for 200 years now. <clears throat> I had this pastor say, hey, I heard y'all growing all liturgical. That was his 
That was his thought. That was his comment to me, this guy that doesn't really know us, but he thinks he knows us. He said, hey, I heard y'all have gone all liturgical. And I said, well, I mean, by order of service, you mean? I said, I said by the way, you're liturgical as well. Yeah, that's I right. Because like, just the right. order of service. I said, your, your liturgy is songs, uh, tricky announcements, sermons, uh, and a big call to a conversion experience at the end. He goes, yeah. I said, I said well, that's your liturgy. I said, we have the same mission in mind. I have the same passion. I have the same thing. I just have a different order, a different liturgy to get us there that I think is actually weightier and I think actually more biblical. And so we got into that great discussion. But, you know, it, it's not a matter of being liturgical or not. It's being what is the order of service? What are you trying to do? Which is the question we started this off with today. Yes. What are you trying to accomplish on Sunday? Yes. Can you do all three of these things? Can we accomplish this? And maybe on some Sundays, which is true here at New Life, there are times when I'm emphasizing one of the three over the other. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's not equal emphasis every Sunday. There's some Sundays I wake up and I know I am going to push hard for a conversion decision experience that Sunday because the Lord spoke to me about it. But I don't do it out of, out of routine. I do it out of conviction. There are some Sundays I wake up and I go, today, I just feel like the Holy Spirit needs a lot of space to do a lot of them. We're going to pray for healing today. I'm going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to pray for miracles today. I just feel it. I know it. So it's going to be very expressive that day. I mean, we're going to come that Sunday, and it's very expressive. And then there are days when I said, you know what, this is a topic I have not taught on. Yeah. This is a topic yeah. I have got to spend a little. And I'll say to John, John, i got to have five extra minutes today because I want to go down deep on some of these things yeah. because I've yeah. not shaped this conversation well enough in our congregation, so I need to teach today. I need to, I need to teach today. Yeah. You understand yeah. that happens. Sometimes all three of those things are in equal expression. On some Sundays, you just know, I'm going to emphasize one of these three. Yeah. But it's not to the expense of the others, to the benefit of the other Good. two expressions. Good. We do all these three, all three of these things at New Life in equal parts. And I, get, I bet at the end of 52 Sundays, if you were to like to, you know, put all of our 52 services on a, a screen in front of you and begin to evaluate, which, which you would find they're pretty even. Yeah. Pretty even balanced, not, by, not because we're that thoughtful, but because that's what the Spirit does. Yes. I think the Holy Spirit knows what your church needs. If we would get out of the way many times and just listen to him and say, Father in heaven, what are you doing today in my congregation? Do, I need to, do we need to allow for more expression today? Do I need to teach more today? Do I need to really go after those who are the, the prodigals coming home? I need to open the front door today. You know, the dad was out on the front porch looking for the prodigal to come home. But, you know, it doesn't say that he was out on the front porch every day. But he was on the front porch that day. Watch, he saw the son coming home that day. And the assumption is he was looking every day. But that's my point is paying attention to what the Holy Spirit's doing and coming alongside that on Sunday. And it's going to frustrate people. The, the students are going to be frustrated when there's not teaching. The charismatics are going to be frustrated when we didn't allow enough prophecy. Uh, it's, uh, the people who are the evangelists are going to be frustrated when we didn't have a strong enough altar call. Yep. It, but it's always going to frustrate. It's always going to create tension. But that's the, that's the beauty of the church, that we can have tension and still have great church. What's so brilliant about that? Yeah, that deserves a clap. Go ahead. Give it to him. What's so brilliant about that is he didn't know that the next slide was spirit-led, and you said it. You totally said it. But the spirit knew that. The spirit did know that. He might have known on Tuesday even, last week. Um, <laughs> the, the thing we, ha- we have to leave you with is not a template, is not a formula, is not methodology. 
The thing we have to leave you with is the same thing that Jesus left his disciples with, and that is the Holy Spirit. One of, one of the questions the book of Acts is trying to answer is, how will the message of Jesus Christ spread outside the small Jewish community? That was one of the questions Acts is trying to answer is, great, there's followers of Jesus in these Jewish communities. Is it ever going to go beyond that? And Luke's way of answering it is not with a church government structure. Acts is notoriously lacking in specifics. We don't get church hierarchy spelled out for us. We don't get church liturgy spelled out for us in Acts. But what we do have is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And that's Luke's way of underscoring how is the gospel, the good news of Jesus going to spread all around the world in diverse communities and different cities and urban and suburban and rural areas. How? Because the Holy Spirit's going to help us pay attention. To and Glenn, this is from the very beginning, Exodus 19. I'm thinking, I'm trying to think through this every service I lead. What is the goal here? My goal here as the pastor of this congregation on Friday night is to try to teach people how to host the presence. Yeah. You know, Exodus 19, before we get the law in Exodus 20, God says to Moses on the mountain, For I will make for myself a kingdom of priests and priestesses. And it's not just you, Moses. We're not going to have this mediation the whole time. Like, the goal is, here's where we're going to end up. Everyone is a priest or a priestess in the kingdom of God. And so what I'm trying to think is, if, if people come into the service and they are not called to participate, I have failed. Yeah. If I have not yeah. taught them how to host the presence, if I've not encouraged them to pray for their neighbors, if they come into church and can sit there comfortably and not do anything and leave, I have failed. And so uh, teach people how to host the presence, teach people how to pray, teach people how, because as they do that on Sundays or on Fridays or whatever day you meet, they will go out and learn to host the presence in their homes, and they will learn to host the presence in their workplace, and they'll learn how to host the presence. And the story that, that is held in the church will start to spill outside of the four walls of the church, which has always been God's plan, a kingdom of priests. Amen. Two last things. I, I want to say one, and then John will say the other. Um, I want to explain that first bullet. I understand that at a conference like this, not everybody might be Pentecostal, and that's okay. But all of us need to understand the miracle of Pentecost, okay? So the miracle of Pentecost was not purely that there was an ecstatic experience. No, the miracle of Pentecost was that everybody heard the good news of Jesus Christ as if in their own tongue. That's the miracle of Pentecost. Oftentimes when we talk about being a city on the hill, what we're saying is how can we be proclaimers of the good news of Jesus Christ in such a way that the people that we are ministering to hear it and understand it? That's the miracle of Pentecost, that all of us in any city and wherever we are in the world are able to say, God, help me proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ in the language that people will hear and understand and believe. And we are calling them to be an alternative people. We are calling the people by the Spirit to live in um, with a certain costliness and a weight. Um, you know, Daniel said it beautifully. If, these, if our people are walking in, sitting down, didn't have to bring anything, we have failed. It's true because we are, that is kind of the performance world we live in is come in, shut up. We'll take care of everything for you, and then you could leave. And uh, I love the New Testament story of, I mean, we all love it as worship leaders, but the woman with the alabaster jar, and it's very costly, breaks it open, and all kinds of judgment came her way, right? All kind of, even the followers of Jesus, we could have used it for this, we could have used it uh, for that. It cost her uh, a, a great deal. And uh, it's, it's a great picture of church for us and how this, to go back to even the consumer 
type uh, mentality we even have. Um, Jesus affirms this woman. What she's done is beautiful. As the gospel is shared, so will this story of extravagance be shared. Um, and uh, I think what we do in this consumer world is we find, uh, we find Marys, if it was Mary, who, the woman, we find these Marys who break something open. These are worship leaders or pastors or speakers. They're breaking something open, extravagant for them. The, the fragrance fills the room. Mm, I like their fragrance of extravagance. I think I'll go to this church and instead of going to this church. But what we, if we are to be true pastors and leaders, we are saying, forget the fragrance that we're releasing in our extravagance. We want to invite all of us to release something of extravagance, all of us to bring something that costs us, and that becomes weighty. That becomes an ask that we bring people walk down for communion. They have to get up. It's a go gospel, not a sit-down type of gospel, and it's a big, uh, it's a big ask for us to, to do that, but that's, how, that's what the gospel is. That's what, that's what we're doing as we pastor, and we are creating tension, and uh, we were just talking a metaphor of a, the tension of a guitar string. Uh, if you've ever seen a guitar string not tied up, it does not um, make a sound. But we're calling our congregation to be a harp, you know, just tension, tension, wait, 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 and it makes something beautiful. Yes. Yes. I mean, think of that metaphor, you guys. Like, what if you said, I've got to resolve every tension, so on the guitar string, I'm going to lift up the peg, and we're you've lost the ability to make melody and harmony. This is a tension that every church, we can say, tensions are not problems to be solved. Tensions sometimes can be things to be embraced because it allows you to make melody and harmony. The difference and diversity is what makes melody and harmony possible. 